The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about, or hearing, I should say, the confessions of a teacher. And in particular, we're going to be talking about, or hearing about, uh, sexual predators in the classroom. And I don't mean teachers towards students, although I'm sure we'll talk about that too, but the increasing problem of students towards teachers. Um, my guest, Reg Jensen, is the author of the new book called Confessions of a Teacher, in which he describes his 32-year history of being a high school teacher in um, numerous subjects, including um, uh, particularly chemistry and physics. Welcome to the show, Ridge. Thank you very much, Doctor, and thank you for having me on your program. You know, teachers are always in the news these days, sometimes uh, usually for, you know, the more uh, salacious or the more, um, um, oh, you know, uh, ratings-grabbing kinds of things, uh, from even from... Um, well, nowadays, with the budget in California, uh, <laughs> teachers being angry that some of them are being let go or complaining about their benefits and so on. And um, you hear about these kinds of things in the news or the latest scandal of, you know, of a, of a student at least alleging sexual uh, abuse by a teacher. But, um, but you don't really hear what goes on inside the classrooms. I mean, yes, there's also the violence. You hear about certain, you know, Columbine being the prime example, but other violent incidents that happen, kids bringing knives and guns to school and so on. But um, your book gives <laughs> gives a well-rounded <laughs> curriculum of um, all the different things that you experienced as a teacher and um, really gives, you know, it's a peek inside your classroom. So why don't we start though with uh you know when I on Dr. Carroll's couch I usually start, put the person <laughs> who wrote the book or whatever the the issue is on the couch first and let's talk about what made you decide to be a teacher and and what those early years were like. Well, I uh I had a couple excellent teachers as I was growing up, and I really admired them and appreciated them and appreciated the, uh, what they taught me. And that kind of got me uh, thinking along the lines of being a teacher. I taught trumpet lessons uh, when I was in high school and uh, graduated from high school, and I really enjoyed um, teaching others how to play the trumpet. And I thought, well, if I couple my 
interest in science along with uh, my interest in teaching music. I can uh, teach science and uh, mathematics. Um, so it kind of, uh, those two experiences uh, were integrated together to, to lead me towards the teaching field as a profession. Now, this was when that you deci- decided to be a teacher. How old were you and what year was it? Well, like most people, I started out, you know, with one college major in electrical engineering and, and uh, gradually understood that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so when I was in college, I switched over to, uh, to teaching. Probably I was uh, 20 years old when I switched over. And that was what year? Uh, that would have been 1973. Okay. So um, when you... When you decided to do that, did you consult with any of your uh, college counselors or did did your peers sort of, did anybody try to talk you into it or out of it? Yeah, uh, my major was chemistry with a minor in mathematics and they told me I was nuts because I wouldn't make very much money as a teacher and I could make so much more in industry as a chemist or uh, working in research. Um, The money issue uh, was not as much of a driving force, though, to me, as the joy of, of the job. In other words, I, I saw through others that I'd grown up around, adults, um, that they hated their jobs, but they made lots of money. And I saw other people that loved their jobs and didn't make as much money and maybe had to forego a few of the conveniences of life, but they enjoyed their job. And to me, that was a, a more important deciding factor. So what was it like? Um, let's start from the beginning as far as what kinds of teaching, when you finally got into the classroom, teaching wasn't what you had expected. No, it wasn't. Um, I, part of that, though, is because of the way I grew up. I grew up in an, in an all-white, uh, upper-middle-class to upper-class um, area in the in, uh, California Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area. And um, I wasn't um, around a lot of uh, violence, drugs. Uh, In my four years of high school experience, all the parties I went to, I never uh, saw any drugs whatsoever. Mm. And I never really experienced any drinking at those parties as well. We just had a great time without the alcohol and without the drugs, and uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, when I got into college, why then I was exposed to all of that, um, and that was a little bit of a shock to me. But then when I uh, actually started my teaching career as a student teacher, uh, I was in an inner city school in the Sacramento area, and it was uh, mixed uh, racially among a number of different cultures. And um, there were rampant drugs uh, being used on campus, being sold on campus all around me, and there was um, a lot of um, immoral, uh, what I would consider immoral sexual behavior among students uh, on the campus and approaches towards me as well. Of course, I was 21 years old at the time, so... Now, did you ever have, when you started going into the classrooms as a student teacher, did you... Did you and and experiencing these things? Did you have some moments of uh, oh my, what did I get into? I did. Uh, I, I you know I I had to reevaluate what it meant to be a teacher, and um, 
the methodology that I was going to use to best communicate whatever subject I was teaching to the students. Um, it was a it was a real culture shock for me. And I guess the hardest part was that you realized that the students didn't necessarily want to learn whatever subject it was that you were supposed to be teaching. Right. I thought if you uh, were excited about what you taught and you presented it in a clear and logical way that the students would just naturally fall in line and be all excited about it. And, you know, I should have known better because not many people love chemistry and physics. Uh, you know, it's one of the dreaded subjects that people have to take in high school. Yes. So what did you do to... Um how did you cope with this? Well, I, I learned, uh, I took a, a bunch of um, different strategies over the years and kind of every year, you know, improved what I'd done in the year past. So it was an evolutionary experience uh, for me as well as the students. But some of the ways that I did was I let them have a glimpse into my own personal life that that teachers are humans. They don't go home and just read chemistry books. They, you know, they like to have fun. Um, humor in the classroom uh, was important to me because it lightened up the subject matter. And uh, also, you have to have a really good command of whatever subject area you're teaching because students uh, will only uh, want to learn if you can adequately present the material to them and you know what you're talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about, they catch that right along, right away, and uh, they lose a respect, I think, for the teacher uh, and a desire, and somewhat a desire to learn. Now, you talk in the book about um, one of your first experiences uh, being a student teacher where, where you first had to observe the teacher um, and you saw the things that he was doing that wasn't working. Tell us about that. Well, my first was at a my first teaching experience was an inner city school in the Sacramento area, and the teacher would control the students by screaming and yelling, and 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 when that didn't have the desired effect, he'd throw books down on his desk and uh, rant and rave at them. And I, after observing that for a couple of days, what I realized was the students would actually bait him and manipulate him into uh, that type of behavior because it was, I think they saw it as great entertainment. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> that the more, the angrier and more out of control he became, um, the more amusing it was. Because they had won, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They were. He thought he was in control of them, where in effect they were manipulating and controlling him. Yes. Well, tell us about um, the the sexual, uh, some of the sexual things that went on in class. I mean, you know, what's interesting also is that now, when did you retire? Um, just two years ago. Okay. So what? Well, before, actually, before we get into sex, um, why don't you what what, I, what you must have really seen? Um, you had an opportunity to see over these thirty-two years the the evolution of students um, from nineteen seventy-three to two thousand and seven. Um, what? Tell us about that. Like, what kinds of what did you see as the years went on, as far as how students were different? Well, the, I saw uh, a gradual loss of, of shame for doing things that 
you know, were shameful when I was a kid growing up um, became actually bragging points uh, by the time that I had uh, was ready to retire. Um, uh, such things as uh, maybe stealing. Uh, you know, you didn't talk about that, and if you did, it was just among your closest friends, you know. Hey, you know, I was in a store and I took this and that. But by the time I was had uh, was ready to retire, uh, recent years, um, people would run around bragging about those things. And I think we see that really exemplified now on Facebook and um, uh, the computer things that we have now, the uh, emails. Um, what's the other one other than Facebook? It's uh, MySpace. MySpace, yes. Uh, you know, you go on MySpace and you see people bragging about their immorality. You see people bragging about um, their thefts and their their criminal activities. In fact, that's one way that uh, police are working now to catch people yes. in those activities. Yes, by them putting it on Facebook, which has to be the all-time most stupidest, most stupidest uh, thing. Right. Uh, you know that that they're bragging. It's it's so important for them to boast that they even risk being caught. Well, I think I hear the music that signals a break. We do need to take a break. We'll be back with more Tales from the Classroom with my guest, Reg Jensen. He's the author of Confessions of a Teacher. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest today, Reg Jensen. He is the author of a new book called Confessions of a Teacher. Before the break, we were talking about some of the ways in which students changed over your 32 years of being a teacher. Uh, and you were mentioning about nowadays, um, or as the years progressed, the students were talking talking about, um, bragging about things that they did that would have been considered taboo earlier on. Uh, yes, and I think, uh, you know, I think the media has greatly um, perpetuated those um, those changes technology I think has through computer games and gadgets that the kids have now TV has uh, changed its face from the leave it to beaver atmosphere and the I love Lucy I grew up with you know to today's um, sitcoms and and whatnot uh, I think also that the family is not teaching values the way they used to you know in the 50s I think they basically left it up to a lot of parents, anyway, have left it up to the culture to teach uh, values, and and so we kind of reap what we sow in that in that regard. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about one of the ways I guess that children or <laughs> your students have changed um, over these years is how blatantly uh, what they'll do for a grade or how blatantly sexual they've become with teachers and with with each other. Let's talk about. Um, what experiences you had as far as girls coming on to you, either for grades or for you tell me what um, what they were looking for? Yeah, this is some. This is an area that's really never talked about by by teachers, male teachers especially. And I think the reason is it's such a sensitive area, and it's one in which um, an accusation from a student you're you're almost guilty. Uh, right off the bat until you can absolutely prove yourself innocent. And in a lot of ways, it's it's difficult to do that. You know, we've heard uh, stories about male teachers um, having sex with their students, and then we heard uh, stories about Catholic priests and altar boys, and then female teachers like Deborah LaFay with their male students. But, but this is an area that teachers are really afraid to talk about. Um, 
students, first of all, they, they, the, the girls always had an agenda, and that was not that they loved you. It was because they wanted power con- or control over uh, me or the one in authority, or they wanted something in return, and it almost always was a – in fact, in my case, it was always a grade. You know, they'd gotten a poor grade, or they wanted a grade change, or they wanted to improve their grade, and they didn't want to do it by studying. And um, it's not a huge percentage of of girls that do that, you know, but there are a number of them out there, and it's something I think that the media has uh, failed to address to this point, mainly because teachers are afraid to talk about it. Uh, For instance, one of the common things that that occurred uh, pretty often uh, was uh, when girls knew that they weren't doing as well in a class, say, chemistry, as they wanted to or needed to for their chosen profession. Let's say they wanted to be a doctor, um, a medical doctor. Thing. Um, they would come up and, and um, in low-cut outfits without bras on and bend over the desk and so that they were exposing themselves, you know, in my face. And they would always be pretending to look at the grade book, you know, and say, you know, can I check my grade? Well, they know exactly what their grade is at all times because after every test, uh, we'd, we'd upgrade the grading, uh, update the grading scale. Mm-hmm. And so they knew what their grade was, and that was a ruse um, to, you know, expose themselves to manipulate me to be more lenient on them. Uh, another thing that would occur real often was they'd come up behind you and rub their breasts on my back uh, while looking over my shoulder at the grade book, and um, you'd move away from that, you know, but they'd follow you and um, continue that action. Um, now, if I made a comment about either of those situations that I just described, you know, if I would say, you know, you need to sit up and um, not bend over my desk, they they would possibly come back with a reply like, well, Mr. Jensen, were you looking down my shirt or were you, what were you looking at or why are you saying to do that? And they can turn it around on you. And that's why it's a, it's a real minefield for a teacher. Um, the instance that I just um, depicted actually was not, uh, it's an instance that happened to a friend of mine who was teaching in a related to me and told me it scared him to death because he was afraid that uh, she was going to go to the principal with it and he would lose his job. Uh, it's not that part isn't in the book because I didn't personally experience it, but uh, it scared him and he just said, I'm ignoring it from now on. I'm not doing anything or saying anything. Which part isn't in the book? I mean, um, I mean, you personally his, his did experience to me that he told a girl once that was bending over in front of him that was braless and exposing her breast to him that uh, he he told her to sit up and she turned it around and said, "Well, why uh-huh. are you looking down my shirt?" I see, but but and you he, yourself but, had experienced on numerous occasions both those instances, those oh, examples. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was. Fairly common, and you just actually. ignored it. Now, what? Well, what about? Did you ever ignore it, and then the girls would would pursue it? I mean, would would be more um, blatant about what they wanted? Oh yeah, I um, I, I I think the most uh, um, shocked that I ever was was um, uh, grades had just come out, and they were semester grades, and one of the gals in one of my honors chemistry classes had gotten a D, and she came in uh, with her boyfriend. And um, 
they they wanted to talk to me, but they were acting kind of sheepish, and they wanted to talk to me in the back chemical supply room where nobody could hear uh, the conversation. And, you know, the boyfriend was with her. I didn't think much of it, but um, she sat down on a, on a chair there in the storeroom, and she had on a white, very, very extremely short mini skirt, um, and sat with her legs uh crossed kind of sideways to me and and was smiling at me and she goes I said what do you want to talk about she said I want to talk about my grade I got a D and I can't have a D and I said and she said what do you what can I do uh, to improve my grade and I suggested some study stuff and and she goes no I, I I'll do anything for a grade and she kind of uncrossed her legs in one of those um, movie moments you uh-huh. know and um and, and then recrossed, <laughs> and um, uh, I pretended to ignore it and and play it off, and and I continued, you know, with you know she could come in and get some help, or she could meet with some friends. And the boyfriend interrupted, and he said, "I don't think you understand, Mr. Jensen. I will leave this room right now, and you two can do, you know, whatever you want." And at that point, I got really mad, and I I I said you ought to be ashamed of yourself you're her boyfriend right And he goes yeah and i said you're acting more like her pimp and i said you know when you are in love with somebody you do what's best for that person and you build that person up and you hold them in high esteem and i said you're not doing any of those things you're degrading her you're putting in her in a in a position that maybe she even wants to be in right now but I said it's for all the wrong reasons, and I said this conversation is over, and I actually uh, referred that one to the administration, but I didn't have them do anything about it because I told them that I handled it, and uh, you know I just didn't want it to go any further. So that was probably the most blatant example, actually. And and a year later, that girl came back and talked to me and said, that, you know, because of the stand I took, that she really. Uh, admired me and appreciated me and understood me better, and she was going to try to make some changes in her life. So uh, that was like dumping her boyfriend, for example. Yeah, yeah, like dump him for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I never saw her again after that. Well, you know, what what do you know about? Did you ever um, talk to the parents of? I mean, I guess it would be hard if you were ignoring some of these, you know, some of these attempts. To then, but did you like? Did you ever find out more about the backgrounds of these girls and why they were so promiscuous? Why they were so willing to do whatever um, just for a grade? You know, I never did. I, I, in one case, I, I had a meeting with a parent, and the reason the kid was the way they were was because the parent was um, uh, <laughs> because the parent had taught them that behavior. Um, it turned out that, uh, another quick story, one of the girls was drawing uh, pornographic uh, pictures on her uh, desk, and I took her aside and I, to- I told her, you know, we're going to have to have a parent conference and have the parents come down, and she didn't see anything wrong with it. Um, it turned out that the dad was into, uh, he, he did pornography cartoons, and she was one of her artists uh, for the cartoons, and so she was just part of the business. Uh, you run into all kinds of things that you that you don't anticipate initially, and it's it's a, kind of an eye opener. Yes, I mean I, it must have been just so 
frustrating that um, that not only did they not discipline her for it, but that they encouraged it because because she was helping the business. Right. Yes. Um, the you know certainly the behavior of the parents is is influencing more and more with each generation. I mean, I know that. Well, we'll talk when we when we come back about why you wrote this book. But I know that that one of the problems is that I was thinking about when I was reading your book was that um, with each generation, as uh, parents have looser ethics, morals, you know, don't think it's bad to steal or cheat or, or have sex, you know, just promiscuously, that that, of course, is going to bring that new generation into the schools who are thinking the same way. That's exactly right. And they're going to raise their kids with those values and, and maybe even sink a little lower. And I exactly. think that's one reason that it's kind of a degenerative um, uh, progress from, from generation to generation. Yes, yes. Well, we'll talk more about that when we come back. My guest is Reg Jensen. He's the author of Confessions of a Teacher. And we're talking about what really goes on in, in the classroom, a particularly uh, uh, timely subject considering that classrooms, lots of people, lots of students went back to classrooms this month. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, 
Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with Reg Jensen, author of Confessions of a Teacher, and that's what he's been doing (laughs) during this hour of Dr. Carol's Couch. Um, Reg, why did you write this book? That's you know you were saying before about how uh, lots of teachers don't want to talk about some of these hot topics because, um, well, what? Because they don't want to implicate themselves, or they? I mean, why? Yeah. So <laughs> why well, don't they want to talk about all these girls coming on to them and so on? Well, because they don't want to be seen as. Um drawing that kind of attention from a girl and you know it's their careers and their careers they feel threatened in their careers uh by those types of um uh, of conversations so it's really not talked about um even mm-hmm. among friends uh at least that was my experience and i i have a hard time believing that my experience is unique i think it's uh something that that goes on in the in the classroom uh and teachers probably aren't willing to talk about it until after they retire. Mm-hmm, like and, you. <laughs> it, well, exactly. <laughs> and so so tell us why you wrote this book. Well, uh, twofold. Um uh, one is to is to just enlighten people that 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 in sexual improprieties, it's not always the teacher that is the that is the predator. It is uh sometimes the student that is not to give um, excuse to teachers that give in to that because it is um, uh, we are called to have a high a moral and ethical standard in that profession, and um, those uh, types of uh, relationships are, are taboo and unethical and, and illegal, in fact. Um, the second thing is, though, that um, I see the, the, the students that we produce out of our schools become the leaders of tomorrow and the leaders of our country. And uh, Benjamin Franklin said in 1787, and I'll quote him here, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. And and what he's saying there is that is if people uh, don't have a high code of ethics, the government has to step in and control them by controlling our freedoms and enacting laws, um, that that limit the freedoms that we have, and um, all our founding fathers held similar beliefs as Benjamin Franklin. And so, seeing uh, um, problems change in the schools, I, I use a quote in the book that back in the fifties, the major problems in schools were gum chewing, running in the halls, and and shouting in the halls, uh, things like that. And now the problems are, uh, you know, we have. Um, all kinds of crime. We have drug problems. We have um, assaults. Uh, we have rapes. 
Uh, we have shootings in our schools, things that we never saw when, well, I never saw when I was a kid. And so I have to ask myself, why is this? And it's because our our sense of morality and ethics has been eroded over the over the last um, uh, couple decades. And then I have to ask the question, okay, if we've eroded this far in the last 20, 30 years, where are we going to be 20 or 30 years from now? And that is scary to me because mm-hmm. I want my kids to grow up in in a uh, with a sense of freedom and with a, re, a sense of pride of their country that that I have had, and I don't see that happening. So what I do see is that we can start teaching ethics again in the curriculum, and it doesn't you know they can be simple things. And I think I, I enumerate a few of the ideas in the book that we can teach our kids to universally respect authority and treat others the way we want to be treated, to obey our laws, not to steal, not to cheat, not to lie, and respect others and their opinions. And I think those are a, a start, anyway, for the basic things that we can that we can teach our students that we can all gather around as parents. Um, and there's always going to be a few um, that aren't going to go along with that program, but at least we're making an effort to turn things around. Well, don't you think that part of the reason why students don't respect authority is because of um, so many of our political leaders, sports figures, uh, actors, you know, stars, are doing things that are so immoral? Um, we can talk about Clinton uh, and Monica Lewinsky. We could talk about... Um, a whole list of other yes, I mean, you know. exactly. <laughs> and um, and then of course sports figures. I mean, the the joke is that uh, radio shows here have uh, in Los Angeles have the athlete arrest of the day. Um, you know, and and certainly there's no end to the scandal that uh, Hollywood celebrities get into. So from Michael Jackson on down. Sure. So. Um, so, you know, isn't part of the problem, I mean, one thing is that we were talking about before was, of course, that the parents aren't aren't living lives that are ethical and moral, but it's also because, the, the you know, it's I glorified. think... What did you say? It's glorified by the media in yeah. a lot of cases. That's why you see Paris Hilton and her escapades splashed all over the screen, you know, in the local news and... and uh, yeah, it, it's almost glorified in 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 some parts of the uh, our society, um, but but look, that's exactly what I'm talking about because those people that that are have that behavior are products of of my generation, you know, the generation of the '60s, and those are the kids, you know, that my generation has brought up, and and with a, without that sense of uh, morality and ethics and and whatnot, and um, you know, I, I, I don't know what we do to turn the media around because it's driven by ratings, it's driven by money and, and, and basically materialism, uh, stockholders in some cases, and um, I don't know what we do there. I, I can only think in terms of, you know, our curriculum in the classroom and that teachers, um, you know, you, you, one of the ways you can turn that around in the classroom is, you know, you could bring something like that up. You know, how many of you heard about uh, Britney Spears and whatever she has done recently? (laughs) And uh, and what do you guys think of that? And then it's up to the teacher to guide and say, well, 
if that's wrong, why is it wrong, and why do we not need to behave that way? And you know, and take take the negative things that the media portray as a teacher, yes. and turn around, turn them around to uh, be a learning tool, yes. and to try to teach our kids that that is not a standard that we want in our society, because because it corrupts the society, and because the freedoms have to be lost. That's why we have laws against drinking and driving, and why we have. Uh, some of the gun, most strict gun laws in the country because of the ethical behavior of those that wield those things, alcohol and drugs. Well, you know, um, I mean, do you have, did you, did students come in and talk to you about, um, well, this is okay because, oh, some athlete did this, or, or this is okay because Lindsay Lohan did this, you know, was drinking all night, or... Um, no, I don't think they ever did. I they think it's more of didn't. a subliminal thing when they're watching the news and they read their teen magazines and, and, and hear about it and they're all talking about it. You know, they, they tend to laugh at those things and to joke about them. And when you laugh and joke about them, you're, you're, um, you're making them trivial and and when they're trivial then you tend to adopt those things because you see them the, the negative things become actually uh social uh, things to give you maybe more popular uh contact with your peers mm-hmm. yes that that even though they don't name it as i'm copying so and so that in fact that's what they're doing um you talk in the book about about violence in the schools too and uh and you mentioned video games. You know, one of my um, one of the things that I've been an activist about is uh, media is media violence is is copycat crimes is kids um, and adults, but but everyone being influenced by violent media to become more aggressive and violent. Um, how did you, you 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 talk about that in the book as some examples? Yes. Could you tell us about that. Well. Yeah, I think anybody that that thinks that a kid can spend hours and hours um, uh, shooting uh, make-believe characters on a video screen, uh, that that doesn't have an impact on him uh, psychologically is really naive because what it does is it makes them numb to uh, gore, uh, to death, to violence, and life becomes a video game to them um, they uh, we we had a in the uh, early 80s we had a, a a game that was coming around becoming very popular in the high schools dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. and uh, this in this game uh, there were you cast spells and you uh, people did evil things to you you did evil things I'm not really familiar that much with the game but I know there was all this mysticism that went around it and it finally became um, outlawed in our school because it was having such an impact on the students um, and taking away from their uh, desire to learn and to pay attention in class because they were so focused on this game um, so that's one instance that and I ha- well how did they when you say there was it was outlawed in the school you mean as far it, as playing it at school how did they Yes, at at school, even during lunch, the the uh, the game was not permitted on campus, uh-huh. and that was just our our school district that adopted that policy. Well, there have been some uh, 
some crimes related to that. I mean, some some student deaths um, related to Dungeons and Dragons. You know, copycat kinds of things. Yes, and I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, that's one case, but there's I think through. Um, some of this uh, rap violence stuff that perpetuates uh, dehumanizing women and making them simply sexual objects and the violence that's portrayed by some rap songs, the, um, the, um, the video games that they carry now uh, in their iPhones and, and all these other things yeah. you know, that portray just shooting people and mass mayhem and destruction uh, is, is just... Uh, Ruining yes. the minds of our of our uh, youngsters. Yes, it's true. It's taking it to a whole other level by now being able to carry around these video games, not just not just uh, doing it at home. And it's not just Dungeons and Dragons, of course. It's uh, countless video games. We do need to take a break. We'll be back. My guest is Reg Jensen. His book is Confessions of a Teacher. So stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america son we gotta talk about drinking i know I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. 
Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all, before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking, and keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Reg Jensen. During the break, I was asking him more about the uh, girls who had tried to seduce him and, and about what else it was for um, besides grades, because you had said earlier that they wanted power and control over you. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit? Well, to some girls, the, the, they... They um, can use their bodies as a way of manipulating people, and it's a and it's kind of a game to them. Um, but we talked earlier that when I first started teaching, and I was 22 years old, and that some of the girls I was teaching were 17, 18 years old, and I imagine that, and I was a single guy, and uh, some of the girls are you know are naive as to what the laws are as far as uh, student-teacher relationships. And I imagine that some of them had uh, crushes, you know. I, I, I uh, Don't typical, be modest typical now. Typical <laughs> male ego here. You know? <laughs> I, I imagine that happened, but uh, you still have to maintain that professional relationship with them. Um, I also related to you, Doctor, that, that during the break that um, that I've known some instances where, you know, students have gone on to graduate high school and uh, gone on to college and then come back and, and fostered a relationship with one of their ex-teachers and have actually gotten married and lived happily ever after. You know, they've been successful marriages. Um, those cases are, are certainly, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, it's done properly and they're not, they don't have that student-teacher relationship anymore. And as long as they're over 18. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they're in their 20s at that point. Right. So. Now, um, I have a question for you. At the beginning of the book, you talk about, and actually throughout the book, you talk about, um, I mean, it was more, it was more shocking at the beginning when you started teaching. Um, but these teachers, like you were talking earlier in the show about this teacher who, uh, you know, would just scream and yell and, and say these kids aren't going to, you, you kids aren't going to amount to anything and, and, um, and then you talked about other teachers who sort of turned the other way when they would see drug deals going on or they wouldn't try to stop fights in the hall and so on. And then by the end of the book, by the end of your career, I guess, um, would you say that you, I mean, you mentioned some examples of where you started doing that. Did you retire early? Um, you retired at 56, and what, you didn't have to retire until what? Is there a mandatory retirement age? There isn't one, no. Okay. So um, so you retired early, and um, do you think that it was because you started seeing in yourself that you were getting burnt out and that you were starting to ignore things that at the beginning, you know, you sort of went in there and, and uh, was it, you were a maverick about and, and um, 
you know, we're, we're more assertive in stopping? Well, for, first of all, there's, there's several points I could make regarding that, those issues. One is that teachers are not taught to deal with um, uh, violence. They're not taught to deal with uh, uh, blatant uh, disrespect, uh, where, it, where a student is uh, yelling at you and using all kinds of verbiage about what they'd like to do to you physically, you know, and those things occasionally happen. Um, I have a law enforcement career uh, as well as a teaching career, and that has taught me how to deal with those situations. But 99% of teachers are not equipped to handle those situations, so they feel very uncomfortable, especially female teachers, against a guy who may be 220 pounds of solid muscles and adrenaline. Um, so, so that's one reason that teachers will tend to um, not subject themselves to breaking up fights and whatnot. But, the, but another major reason is that the schools, under some circumstances, uh, depending on the school, again, uh, will have administrators that enact rules, and and yet when it comes to um, enforcing those rules, because a teacher has broken up a fight, or because a teacher has been trying to uphold uh, discipline in the classroom, but and has acted within school policy, that the parents are more of a threat uh, to the administration than the, than the teacher. And so the teacher actually gets into trouble um, for simply trying to uphold the, the rules of the school. I could give an example. There was a fight um, and a, at, at one of the schools uh, involving two boys. It was a very violent fight. And a teacher, male teacher stepped between them and and physically pulled them apart because they were literally pummeling each other with fists and, you know, there's a fair amount of blood and stuff involved. Um, and he almost lost his job for that because the students said that he assaulted them when he pulled mm. them apart because mm. touching a student and pulling them apart mm. physically it can be determined uh, to be an assault. And the administration didn't back him. And uh, Stan did not want to enforce any rules on the campus after that, and rightly so. He had a family of six kids to feed. So do you think that that influenced you in deciding that you had had enough? Because you gave some examples where you yourself um, did the right thing and didn't get backed up by the by the school, and do you think that, you know, these things, especially you mentioned that as our society becomes more litigious, do you think that you finally had had your fill of this, you know, 32 years of trying to do the right thing and sort of getting less and less support? Well, yeah, you get tired of, um, of trying to do what, you, what is within the school policy and do what you feel is right and not having the, the backing of administrators. Um, in, in some instances, so you, I tended to withdraw from from really going out and seeking um, things like drugs and trying to find you know illegal activities on campus, which at one point in my career I actually did. You know, I actually looked for uh, yes things, and, and it was interesting how you felt at one point that it would behoove you to get this training by the sheriffs. Um, that's the music that we have to stop, unfortunately. You have fascinating stories, and, of course, I encourage people to get the book. It's called Confessions of a Teacher, 
Um, you can get it at Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com and, um, and order it from bookstores. And you can go to Reg's website, which is called ConfessionsofAteacher.net. ConfessionsofAteacher.net. Again, the book is called Confessions of a Teacher. Thank you very the, much for having me on your show, Dr. Lieberman. You're very welcome. It. The author is Reg Jensen. And, Reg, thank you. This has uh, really been fascinating. And, of course, as you were saying during a break, that uh, you, don't, you don't regret any of this. Um, and you certainly don't mean this to be something to discourage teachers. I guess it's just to, uh, to try to encourage them to, to include ethics in the classroom. Exactly, and teaching was a great career. I'd encourage people, if they get along with kids real well and they like to be around them, uh, to go into it as a career. It's very rewarding for it shapes uh, tomorrow's generation and um, and uh, shape, helps shape the society in which we live in to be a better place. Okay, absolutely. I Ditto. <laughs> I, I agree with all of that, and we certainly need more good teachers. It's very, But you, your book explains how hard it is. Well, thank you, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.